Thanks for checking out the Southcrest Church Podcast. We are one church meeting in two locations in South Atlanta. You can find us online at southcrest.tv. Now let's hear a word from God today. My name is Morgan Freeman. I'm going to do a dramatic reading from a very popular songwriter. For all the times that you rain on my parade and all the clubs you get in using my name, You think you broke my heart? Oh, girl, for goodness sake. You think I'm crying on my own? Well, I ain't. And I didn't want to write a song because I didn't want anyone thinking I still care. I don't. But you still hit my phone up, and baby, I'm moving on. And I think you should be something I don't want to hold back. Maybe you should know that. My mama didn't like you, and she likes everyone, and I never like to admit that I was wrong, and I've been so caught up in my job, didn't see what was going on, but now I know I'm better sleeping on my own, because if you like the way you look that much, oh baby, you should go and love yourself, and if you think that I'm still holding on to something, You should go and love yourself. (laughs) All right. Wow. You go, I'm at church, right? It's time change. And uh, sometimes you go to churches and they talk about uh, dead theologians and things like that. Today, we just quoted Bieber. So you'd be like, dude, we quoted Bieber at church today. Some of you go, that is weird. Yes, it is weird. Okay, welcome to week two of Losing My Religion. And uh, we're, I want to welcome both of our campuses in this moment at LaGrange. We're so thankful that you're worshiping with us today here at our Noonan campus. I'm so glad that we're in this moment together. I want to make a shameless promotion real quick. On the Friday night, Good Friday, at both of our campuses, we are going to go after it in our Good Friday service. I'm telling you, I, every time I meet with the Creative Arts team, we talk about what we're going to do in that night. I want to encourage you to be there on Friday night, the 25th, 7 o'clock, in LaGrange, here at Noonan. It's going to be an awesome experience. If you have your Bible today, turn to the book of 1 John, not the gospel of John, but 1 John chapter 2. And we're in week two of this series called Losing My Religion. And some of you go, Sean, I lost an hour of sleep last night. I am totally losing my religion, okay? Some of you feel a lot less religious today because of the loss of an hour of sleep. But uh, you're going to be all right. It's going to be a great day. Last week, we talked about how God wants us to deal with our sin. Like, Religion always wants ourselves to deal with our sin, but Jesus came to deal with our sin. Like he came to destroy the work of sin in our life. And so he talked about this idea of getting on the same page with him and how through confession, we come to this understanding that Jesus becomes our advocate and he becomes our atoning sacrifice. And we don't have to pretend anymore. We can live without wax. Well, today we're going to talk about one of the greatest evidences that our faith is real. You know, the greatest evidence that you and I are living with a genuine, authentic faith, you know what it is? It's love. It's love. And so we saw that, uh, that picture just a minute ago with Morgan Freeman quoting the lyrics from Justin Bieber because Justin wrote this song called Love Yourself. And here's what it's really about, right? Like his Disney girlfriend broke up with him and, uh, and he basically said, hey, listen, if, if, if you think that you're all that in a bag of chips, you can just go love yourself. And here's why it's so popular in our culture, because in our culture, people love themselves, Right? People love themselves. Now, this is crazy. As I was studying for this series, 
I came upon uh, this article out of Psychology Today that said the rise of narcissism in America has exploded in the last 10 years. Now, some of you don't know what narcissism is, so let me define it for you. It's an inflated view of self coupled with relative indifference to others. It's an inflated view of self coupled with a relative indifference to others. Our world, our society, especially in America, we are overwhelmed with narcissistic thinking. In fact, our culture encourages people to be narcissistic. It's like, if you're not narcissistic enough, if you don't love yourself enough, no one else will love you, right? And so that's what we think. Think about how social media has played into this in our lives. We wouldn't know what a selfie is. The other day I was at the gym and uh, there was this girl on the treadmill and she was taking a selfie of herself while she was on the treadmill. And it's like, you know, 39 seconds ago, I sweated. And, um, and she literally was falling off the treadmill trying to take a selfie of herself. And I think it was crazy because I think her friends were over here. They were videotaping her falling because they wanted to put it on YouTube, right? Because we have YouTube. And it's called YouTube, right? It's about you. Like the whole idea of YouTube was someone said, hey, wouldn't it be great if people could see me for free on the internet? And so that, you know, hey, get on your skateboard and crash and bust your head open. We'll put that on there. And that's how YouTube got started. Our culture loves narcissistic thinking. And whether we realize it or not, we've literally been trained by our culture to love ourselves, In fact, think about it this way. There are relationships in this room. There are friendships in this room. There are marriages in this room. One of the greatest struggles is that you love yourself. You love yourself so much that your marriage is struggling. Your friendships are struggling. Relationships are struggling. And you know, Paul understood this because Paul talked about this in scripture. He said, this is one of the signs that it's almost the end of days. Look what he says in 1 Timothy 3, 2. He says, people will be what? Lovers of themselves. Lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful and unholy. Paul said, hey, listen, you know Jesus is coming back soon when the love of self continues to rise. And so I believe that's one of the evidences of Jesus's return is that people love themselves. Now, here's what's crazy. How does this play into religion? Here's how it plays into religion. Religion is based on the idea that I love myself so much, I'm consumed with my performance before God. And so I create a rules, I create a scorecard, I create, I, I don't want you to see me other than perfect and, and, and I want to justify my behavior and call you self-righteous so that I can be self-justifying and all this other stuff. But religion in and of itself is based upon our performance and it's a form of loving ourselves because it's focused on loving me. It's like, hey, God, look at me. Look at how good I'm doing. And what's crazy about that is, you know, Justin's saying, hey, if you're just all that in a bag of chips, just go love yourself. But Jesus taught us something totally different because Jesus never said, love yourself. He said, go lose yourself. He said, if you want to find your life, go lose it. Don't spend your life trying to find yourself. Don't try to spend your life trying to prop yourself up. He said, if you go lose yourself, that's when you truly find yourself. And so today, as we look at this scripture, one of the things that I want to tell you, one of the threats that will happen in our lives to us really loving God and loving others is to love ourselves. And you go, whoa, 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 wait a minute, Sean. Don't you understand grace? Because doesn't grace teach me that God loves me, therefore I should learn to love myself? 
Well, let's think about that for a minute. You see, here's how religion looks at grace. Religion makes grace about learning to accept and love myself. But Jesus demonstrated grace by loving others and not himself. You see the difference there? There's a total difference. In fact, I want to say when it comes to religion, our main struggle is as much with self-justification as it is being self-righteous. Let me explain. You see, there are three great writers in the contemporary era who wrote about religion, and they have shaped why most of our world doesn't like religion. The first one is a guy named Sigmund Freud. He was a psychologist. And Sigmund basically said this. He said, man needs to create God because he feels guilty about his sin. And in a sense, he placates or he creates a God so that he has a way to deal with the guilt of his sin. So in a sense, we create God so we can pray on him so he will pay for our sins. That's what Sigmund Freud would say. And then there was this guy that came along. His name was Karl Marx. And Karl Marx said this because he was a sociologist. He says, oh, I see. I know why you've created religion. You've created religion and you've created God so that you can find a way to be exclusive of other people. And so religion is man's way to create a class system so that you can say, we are loved by God and you are not loved by God. So Marx would say, it totally makes sense that man would create religion. But the person that, believe it or not, has probably had the greatest effects on our thinking about religion is a guy named Friedrich Nietzsche. And Friedrich Nietzsche said this, he said, all religion is created so that at the end of the day, man can have a power trip so that he can feel good about himself and he can have power over others. And I want you to think about that. If it's so true that I struggle as deeply with self-justification as I do self-righteousness, think about that. To even become a critic of religion is in itself being religious. See, because some of us out here, it's easy to hate on the self-righteous. Oh my gosh, you judge everyone by how they dress. You judge by what, you know, the girls you date and the the dip you chew and all that other stuff, you know. You do that. But self-justifying of sin is just as deeply religious as it is to be self-righteous about sin. You see, our struggle with sin is real, but our struggle with self is greater. Here's what's wrong with self-righteous and self-justifying. Self. God meant for us to be righteous. And through Jesus, we can be justified. We just got to get the self out of the way. So think about who we're talking about. We're talking about John. John writes this book. He's writing to a group of very religious people known as the Gnostics. And as he's writing this book, he's trying to help them understand about not loving yourself, learning to love others. And think about the people that John would have encountered before he wrote this book. Obviously, he spent time with Jesus. Otherwise, we wouldn't have had the gospel of John. But in the book of John, in the gospel of John, he has this encounter with this guy named John the Baptist. And John the Baptist was crazy. I mean, I just want to say, if John the Baptist came on this stage today, some of you would run out of here screaming. Like, there's a crazy guy in there. He was so radically different, like he scared people. But when Jesus came on the scene after John the Baptist had been preaching for a while, the apostle John would have heard John the Baptist say these words. He must become greater, I must become less. Think about that. He would have heard Jesus, or he would have heard John the Baptist say this because John the Baptist saw Jesus coming on the scene and they're asking John, hey, John the Baptist, aren't you scared that Jesus is getting all the praise? He's all the stuff now? And he says, hey, 
Jesus has got to become greater and I've got to become less. What a beautiful picture for someone who would turn around and write to us about love, loving God and loving others so deeply. And John did it. In fact, here's what, here's what John would say to us. The greatest evidence of genuine faith is love. If you want to know if your love for God is real and it's not just religion, it's going to be laced with this layer of love that is overwhelmingly different. Love for God, love for others. It's how we know that we're living our life without wax. So if you have your Bible, 1 John chapter 2, starting with verse 3. Listen to what he says. He says, we know that we've come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says I know him but does not do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in that person. Now, here's the thing I want to say again. Remember, John was the son of thunder, right? (laughs) He and his brother, like they were the ones that wanted to call down fire from heaven on people when they were hating on Jesus. So John just kind of lays it out there. He's not trying to be politically correct with us. He's basically saying this. We can know that our relationship with Jesus is real. And here's how we know this. We know that we've come to know him if we keep his commands. And then he basically says this. How can you say you're a follower if you're not following He said, if we're not following him, we won't keep his commands. In fact, he says, whoever says I know him but doesn't do what he commands is a liar. (laughs) Those are big words. And he says, and the truth is not in that person. So here's the way I say it. You see, religion is our attempt to be a cover Christian. You guys ever seen a good cover band before? I know some of you, you know, you don't listen to music. Okay, but I do. Like I listen to music all the time. I've seen some bad cover bands. Like one time I ran this marathon and every mile they had a singing Elvis. And as the miles went on, the Elvises got worse. Like the first mile, it's like the best Elvis. It's like, hey, he's probably, that's really Elvis. Like he might be alive. And at the end, it's like the strangely weird, you know, four foot Elvis with weird sideburns. And because at 26 miles, you don't care, right? I mean, bad cover bands, are a part of life. I was running this one race in Kansas City, Missouri, and it was pouring down rain, and they had taunted the whole race and said, at the end, we're having the best U2 cover band in America. And if you notice that like cover bands, they always use the title of a song that came from the band. Like if you're a Led Zeppelin cover band, your name of your band's called Whole Lot of Love, okay? And if like you're a U2 cover band, the name of this band was called The Streets With No Name. And so I thought, oh, this is awesome. So you're running. I can't wait to get to the end. And all of a sudden I get to the end and Bono is about 350 pounds. And I'm like, oh, this is bad. And the more they sing, I just keep running. I'm like, I'm getting out of here. Listen, there's a lot of people when it comes to love and their idea of religion, they're nothing more than a cover Christian. And at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how you slice it. What John wants us to get to is authenticity. He says, I want it to be real in you. So he tells us in verse five, he said, but if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. What is he talking about? He's talking about love. He said, you wanna know if you really love God? You love people that you follow and obey. In fact, that word obey means that you guard, you observe, or you watch over. How many women in this room would say, my husband loves me because he does what I ask him to do? You know what I'm talking about. You ask him to fix something that nobody else can fix and he fixes it the first time you ask him to do it and he fixes it right and he doesn't complain about it. Listen, that's way better than a rose on your bed. 
that rose, it's going to die, but that light switch, it's going to work, right? (laughs) There's no greater way that we show we love someone than by following them and obeying them. In fact, obedience is one of the greatest evidences of love. You know what's true? You follow and obey people you love. And that's what he's saying here. He says, love for God is made truly complete through our obedience. It's how we know it's real. See, but here's the struggle with that. With religion, we try to make our obedience of God about something different. Let me say it this way. Religion says if you obey God, he will bless your life. Jesus says if you follow me, I will give you life. Right? Religion says if you do this, you're going to have a happy family, a happy wife, lots of money, 2.4 kids, a car, you know, all this stuff. But I want to remind you guys, Jesus didn't come so we could have stuff. Jesus came so we could have life. Religion always says if you obey God, if you're really good, God will take care of you. Jesus said, no, I didn't come to bring you stuff. I came to bring you life. You know what else religion says? Religion is fueled by fear and punishment. But Jesus is fueled by love and mercy. You see, this is the problem with fear-based Christianity. We only obey when we're afraid and fearful. Some of you grew up in homes just like that. In fact, here's how I know this is true. You're driving down the street. You're just on your way, you know, heading towards the Chick-fil-A and everything's great and you're going about 10 to 15 over the speed limit and a police officer pulls behind you. What do you do? Listen, if you speed up, <laughs> you're an idiot, okay? But here's what you do. You tap on your brakes. Listen, if I was a police officer, I'd get so tired of brake lights, I'd shoot them out. Because if you're a police officer, everybody you get behind gets in this sudden state of fear. I'm about to be punished and judged. And then you have the person, they're already doing five under and they slow down more. And that's when you as a police, you just want to run your car off the road. All right? That's how religion is. It's fueled by fear and punishment. But Jesus is fueled by love and mercy. And I love what he says here. He says, so if you want to lose your religion, he says it in verse six. He says, it's kind of simple. Just be like Jesus. He says it in verse six. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. See, here's, here's why some of us struggle with religion. We've made the template about another Christian and not about Jesus. Because I want to ask you a question. When is the last time Jesus came down from heaven and lived hypocritically in front of you and caused you to walk away from your faith? Never. You see, we're we're looking at the wrong template. We got to get past the cover Christians. We got to get past the idea of basing religion upon some human being's, sinful human being's performance. He says, if you want to know what it's really about, just be like Jesus. So in the early 90s, I'll never forget this moment, Gatorade did one of the greatest things because up until then, they maybe had one or two flavors. They had like lime and and fruit punch, right? And in the early 90s, they found this guy. He knew a little bit about basketball. His name was Michael Jordan, right? Played for the Chicago Bulls. And they came out with this genius marketing campaign. Hey, kids, if you drink Gatorade, you can be like, we all know it. 
And suddenly, kids were drinking flavors of Gatorade that made them puke. And they didn't care. Because all they cared about was, I want to be like Mike. And here's what John says. You want to know your faith is real and authentic and you want to lose your religion? It's real simple. Just be like Jesus. Just be like Jesus. Like, get in every day and ask the question, not, as, not what is Henry doing or Charles or some preacher down the road. What is Jesus doing today? Because if I can just be like Jesus, I will lose my religion very, very fast. But here's the problem with that. Religion always wants me to live my faith vicariously through others. Here's how I know that. I'm a pastor, and I have people all the time, they talk to me as if somehow I've got this deeper connection with God than them. And, and I get it because they're like, well, you know, you teach God's word, and so like you must be like, you, you probably got four rungs higher to God. And sometimes people talk to me like I can do something about their sin. Like, hey, will you pray for me today? I'm thinking about doing crack. <laughs> I'm like, bro, don't. It's real simple. Don't do it. But you know what we try to do religiously? We try to live our lives of faith vicariously through others. Jesus is the only template, folks. Just be like Jesus. Jesus. I mean, you want it to be real? You want to lose your religion? Just be like Jesus. And then he says something to us that is crazy about love. Look what he says in verse 7. He says, Dear friends, I am not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard. In other words, you guys know what I'm talking about. That's what he's saying. You know what I'm talking about. You know what command. He's talking about the command of love, okay? Look what he says. Yet I'm writing you a new command and its truth is seen in him. In who? In Jesus. And in you because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. So here's what, here's what John says. He says, I'm writing to you about an old command, but I want you to see it in a new way. In fact, here's really what he's saying. Leviticus 19 says, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Everyone in his audience would have known what he was talking about, old command. Leviticus says, love your neighbors, you love yourself. Deuteronomy 6, 5 says, love God with everything. Love the Lord your God. Jesus came on the scene, and what did Jesus do? Jesus combined them to create what we know as the great commandment, which is funny, Jesus didn't call it out on his own. He went back to the scriptures, right? He said, you've heard it said this, but I wanna tell you this, love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbors yourself. Jesus was quoting those two passages converging. So here's what John was saying. You guys know the benchmark of love. You know what's expected of you. You know what religion requires you to do in the area of love. It's not new in time. It is new in character. In other words, it's fresh. Here's what's our struggle with religion. Religion always leads to stale love. Because here's what religion says. I will love my brother but I don't have to like him. (laughs) Right? That's the religious minimum. John calls it out. He says, here's your struggle with religion. You just want to love to the religious minimum, but you don't want to understand that religion leaves you at a place of stale, cold, religious, calculated love. He said, so I want to say it to you in a new way because it's new 
in character. Listen, if you're the type of person that says, I'll love them, but I don't have to like them, you're struggling religiously. Jesus would have said this. Religion says, I have to love my brother. Jesus says, I get to. I get to love my brother. I get to do this. And you know what the change agent is? Love. Love always crushes the power of religion. I've been a youth pastor for about a year. Got invited to go serve at a church in Arkansas. And when you get your first real student ministry job, you want everyone to think that you're really good at what you're doing, even though you have no idea what you're doing, right? So as a student pastor, um, on Sunday mornings, the kids would come in for their small group time. And there was this guy who came in. His name was Ken. And he was an older gentleman, early 60s. And he had a son in a wheelchair. His name was Clint. And uh, Clint was about 20, 21 years of age. And Ken looked at me and he said, hey, um, Sean, I know you're new here, but he really loves the music here in the youth area. Would it be okay if my son came in here and just sat in here on Sunday mornings and just kind of, you know, he, he doesn't create a, a chaos or anything. He's got cerebral palsy. He hears you. He understands what you say, but he can't always say things back to you. You just got to know that. And I said, yeah, that, that's great, man. That's good. So he came in and about... Uh, 15, 20 minutes into small group, one of the leaders brings Clint to me and says, hey, Clint's got a problem. And I said, what is it? He says, he's got to go to the bathroom. I said, okay. How do I get a hold of his dad? I didn't know what to do. And so Clint just basically looked at me and in nonverbal ways basically was saying, get me to the bathroom. So he's about 20, 21 years of age and I'll never forget carrying him, literally walking him in to the bathroom and holding him up and laying him on the toilet. And God said to me, Sean, this is what I did for you. Love changes what you do, not religion. I tell you, Clint and I became really good friends. For about two or three years, he attended our student ministry, came on Wednesday nights, was the most happy, joyful person I've ever met. But that's the day I realized that I could be as religious as all I wanted to be in my life, but love was the only thing that could ever change my religion. He says it's new in character, it's fresh. And then he goes on in verse 8, second part, and he says, and it's seen in him. And in other words, it's seen in what Jesus did. So think about that. Think about what John saw Jesus do. John saw Jesus walk in and wrap a towel around him in John 13 and literally pull the, the nasty shoes, sandals off of people. And Messiah is on his face washing the disciples' feet. Because remember, Jesus didn't love religiously. He didn't love to the minimum. He loved to the maximum, right? So in John 14, he also would have heard Jesus say these words. He says, I love you so much, I'm gonna go prepare a place for you. In verse 27, he said, I love you so much, I'm gonna leave my peace with you. I love you so much, you're not gonna stay here alone. I'm gonna send my Holy Spirit to live inside you. John's hearing these words. He says, I love you so much that when you abide in me, you're gonna be able to bear fruit you didn't even know you could bear. And then John saw Jesus do something that no other disciple that we know of of accounts ever saw. He saw Jesus humble himself and he went to a cross. John was the disciple who was at the cross. 
So here's what he said. He said, I want to tell you what love for God looks like, and I want to show you what love for God others look like. It looks like humility. In fact, I want to say it this way. Humility crushes our religious love of self. You want to stop loving yourself so much and start losing yourself a lot more in your life? You want to crush religion? Humble yourself. Humble yourself. Humility crushes our religious love of self. And then John tells us something we need to hear today because this is how we move from humbling ourselves to really learning to love our brother. Here's what he says. Here's how I can lose myself and here's how I can love others. Love keeps me in the light because it regards others. Look what he says in verse nine. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother or sister is still in darkness. That word hate doesn't mean you come up and you sucker punch somebody in the throat. That word hate just means that you just disregard them. You write them off. Listen, Jesus never wrote anybody off. And neither should we. He says, you just, you just don't regard your brother. Because that word means to disregard or to despise or to make less of somebody. One of the ways that we don't love each other sometimes and we stay in darkness is we just don't truly love each other. Right? Because religiously, we go to the religious minimum and we say, I'm going to love you. I'm just not going to like you. John said, don't do that. He said, if you're going to live in the light, you've got to regard other people. You see, when we value and love others, we have a greater understanding in our life spiritually. Because hatred creates darkness. You, know, wanna, you want to know why some of you feel so spiritually confused in your life? It's not that you're out robbing banks and smoking crack pipes. You just don't love people. Because John said, when you truly, truly regard your brother, it allows you to live in light. You feel dim spiritually? Look at your love. He tells us real quickly, he said, look at your love. See, religion sees people as the enemy. Jesus sees sin as the enemy. Second thing he tells us, love makes us stepping stones instead of stumbling blocks. Love makes us stepping stones instead of stumbling blocks. Look at verse 10. He says, anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light and there's nothing in them to make them stumble. Now think about that. Our world says, love yourself and don't ever let anyone step on you. And the God of the universe sent his only son and said, I'm going to let you publicly crucify my son and let you walk all over him. Here's what we are. God says, you know your love is real when you care more about being a stepping stone and less about being a stumbling block. Who can step on me so that they can go further with Jesus? Because I know that goes totally against loving yourself, right? Because loving yourself says, I must protect myself. I should never let anybody hurt me in any way. So I'm just going to create my bubble around me because I've been hurt so much. Listen, the, the way you get over your hurt is you just need to get over yourself. Can I get an amen? I mean, come on, it's real. The way you get over hurt is you get over yourself. 
It's not about me. He says, hey, anyone who loves a brother or lives in the light, there's nothing in them to make them stumble. Here's the truth. God says you're to be someone else's launching pad, not their doormat. Do you love other people that you can celebrate when God does something amazing in their life, even if it never benefits you? Some of us can't. And that's probably the greatest evidence of religious love of self. You know the third thing he tells us? He said, love creates clarity so others can see. Look what he says in verse 11. Anyone who hates his brother or sister, they're in darkness and they walk around in darkness. They do not know where they're going because the darkness has blinded them. Here's what he's saying. Hatred, disregard for your brother will distract and restrict your spiritual progress. So in our house, when it's dark at night, we have this, this one part of our bed that my foot finds as a magnet in the dark. We call it the post of many names. Now here's what's crazy, okay? If you were to walk in when you know that there's ample sunlight and you find someone walking around in the dark, you'd say, bro, why are you walking around in the dark? Here's what John was saying. If you don't regard your brother and you don't love them enough, what will happen in time is you will walk around in darkness and you will create unclarity so that others can't live. He says, don't do that. See, here's the truth. God crushed religion through love on a cross. So, my recent trip to Israel, one of the things you realize real quick, in fact, I want to tell you much of what this series is about is some of the things I experienced while in Israel. Because you go to all these places and you realize this is completely real. Like, this is where it happened. This is probably where Jesus fed the 5,000. This is, this is where Jesus probably walked on water. And you see it all and it becomes really real to you. But then the contrast is you begin to see how religion has really muddied it up. So one of the places they took us to on near the end of the trip when we got back to Jerusalem is they take you to this church known as the Church of the Holy Sepulcher. And inside that church, there's a little place where they believe is the actual place where Jesus' tomb would have stood. It is, it is a very crazy place because you go in and we went in around four o'clock and so it's getting a little dark. There's not a lot of sunlight in there and there's all these religious things, symbols, and, and, and candles everywhere. And, and although you know this is the place where Jesus came out of the grave, there's that feeling of, look what religion has created to try to make sense of it, right? And then between the tomb and this other place, there's this stone, and it's the, they called it the anointing stone. It's the place where they believe when Jesus came off the cross that they anointed his body before they buried him. And people are walking in and they're falling and they're kissing the stone and they're rubbing the stone and they're leaving prayers and they're praying. And then they said, okay, before you leave, you need to walk up these stairs and you're gonna go up to the second level of the sanctuary and it's called Mount Calvary. And it's the actual place where they believe Jesus's cross was literally put into the ground. And they said, now, Sean, when you go in there, you're gonna feel this heavy sense of oppression unlike you've ever felt in your life. And so I went up there real guarded emotionally, like, man, what's this gonna be like? And, and you can see where the rock has been encased and they put like this altar at the middle because people are just on their knees and weeping at the, the foot of this rock. 
and, and everyone else felt oppressed, but this is what God told me. Sean, this is where I chose to humiliate myself because I so love the world. God didn't love himself enough that he was willing to come from all of heaven to the earth. In fact, Philippians 2.7 says he emptied himself. And he came to the earth and he chose humiliation. He chose humbleness instead of loving himself. Let me tell you what that tells me. Humility equals love. I want to tell you today, the greatest way that I love you is by humbling me. The greatest way you'll love your spouse, humble yourself. The greatest way you'll love our community, humble yourself. Jesus broke the curse of religion by humbling himself on a cross. Love. Let's pray together today. Thanks for listening to this week's message from South Crest Church. You can connect with us on our app today. There you can watch, listen, or even give to this ministry. If you have any questions or want to share your story with us, you can send us an email at hello at southcrest.tv. We'll see you next time.